Hello and welcome back to Series 8 of The Public Eye, a five-part series of podcasts brought to you by Granite Exchange. I'll be your host, Sarah Travers, and throughout this series I'll be speaking with local entrepreneurs and business owners to learn more about how these companies have come to be, to gain insight into their growth, and find out how they continue to innovate. So wherever you get your podcasts from, remember to keep an eye out for all new episodes and subscribe to stay up to date. Today, I'm joined by Stephen Magorian, Managing Director of the Horatio Group. Before we begin, I'm going to give you a little bit of background. Stephen Magorian is a well-known drinks industry veteran who began his working life with the Belfast Telegraph as an assistant accountant and progressed there before moving to Guinness, Northern Ireland as company accountant in 1988. Since then, he's enjoyed numerous roles throughout his career before establishing the Horatio Group in 2013 and being appointed Managing Director. The Horatio Group now consists of four separate companies, the Northern Wig and Horatio Todd's in Belfast, Denver's of Downpatrick and Horatio Taverns, which is an outside event company. Now, the Northern Wake, you'll probably know it, situated at the entrance to the Cathedral Quarter, provides a memorable dining and drinking experience right in the heart of Belfast, whereas Horatio Todd's is an award-winning, comfortable and welcoming local bar and restaurant, providing quality drinks, food and entertainment, situated in Ballyhackamore in East Belfast. Denver's of Downpatrick was established actually way back in 1642. It's steeped in history and is the perfect setting for a relaxing break in the heart of Downpatrick. Denver's has now got 15 ensuite rooms, as well as bars, a restaurant and function rooms. And finally, through Horatio Taverns, the Horatio Group are also a provider of outdoor bars in Northern Ireland. They've developed a professional, trusted and proven track record, and they successfully provide numerous bars at many elite events, such as the Balmoral Show. So Stephen, you are very welcome to the Public Eye podcast. Thank you, it's lovely to be here. Um, So congratulations on building such a wonderful business and businesses and career. Um, You started as an accountant, so you've come a long way. (laughs) Yeah, and it wasn't really planned to change, you know, um, I was... Uh, probably my best subject in school was maths, and um, so I thought accountancy was the right way to go, and and that's where I started. I started as an accountant, um, and then I went to the Belfast Telegraph as an accountant, which was probably my first real job, and then from there I went to Guinness as company accountant, and whilst in Guinness I moved more into the business side of things. Uh, again, not planned, as I told you, but uh, but it's probably what was destined for me. Uh, but accountancy's been great. It's, it gives me a background. It you know it gives me a good understanding of business. Um, and uh, it, it helps me think, at least I, I think that way, I think logically. And sometimes everything happens for a reason, doesn't it? You, you yeah. start somewhere, you, you get new skills and then you move on. And I'm sure even moving to the likes of Guinness must have been an, an incredible experience and a great place to learn. It, well, they, they're all, they were all great places to learn. And it, and it was a real coincidence in a way because... I thought I would have progressed in the Belfast Telegraph and a job came up uh, above the rank that I was at at that time. And I was told I wasn't allowed to apply for it because I was too young. So I said, well, I'm going to leave. And they said, you won't get a better job than this. And I got the job in Guinness, uh, which was excellent. And when in Guinness, again, luck, I suppose, but uh, the managing director at the time was a gentleman by the name of John Lavery, who was a... Uh, an icon at the time, you know, and, and he took me under his wing and, and got me involved in things probably quicker than I should have been. 
and that's how I sort of progressed through Guinness then. So tell us then when you moved into, okay, I'm going to take the plunge Mm -hmm. and I'm going to take on somewhere myself. Well, even that wasn't planned. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing ever. (laughs) Because I actually saw my career in Guinness, to be honest. And then uh, I I ended up, you know, I started this company accountant at Guinness and I I worked there for 15 years in various roles. I worked for a while in Irish pubs in Europe. Um, I then set up the loans department uh, and then because loans became a, such a big part of, of, of sales and I ended up being asked to take on a sales manager's role, oh. which I'd never done in my life, but I thought, well, why not? Then I ended up a sales director uh, and then Guinness Northern Ireland merged into Diageo Ireland. Mm-hmm. So all the directorships jobs were made redundant. So I was offered a job in Dublin, which I didn't like. I thought I felt it was kind of made up job or a year in Japan restructuring the sales force in Japan but I couldn't get them to pay me enough to go to Japan or my redundancy so I took my redundancy and I was then went into Botanic Inns with a view to hopefully uh, buying over Botanic Inns uh, it got sold <laughs> unfortunately the two guys from Clare who came up and offered a big price Right. This is a long story, sir. But no, anyway, but, um, were you even in the running for the Botanicans at the um, time? Or? Well, it, it was strange. I was actually working on it, and the ah, idea right. was to do a, a management buyout. But then this offer came in from the side, which was much higher than what we had been talking. Mm. So, the owner at the time, Jazz, decided he, he was going to take that offer, and I kind of went with the deal as such. But then those two gentlemen went into Nama, not because of the pubs. They went down for you know they own lots of land in London and the west of Ireland, whatever. So then Nama was my landlord. Uh, oh my and, goodness! And that's when I ended up getting out on my own. So it wasn't a, <laughs> it wasn't a decision. Let's go out on my own. It sort of just ended up that way. So did you feel at that stage you'd no other choice? Well, I, 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 it's not that I had no other choice. But at that stage, I was I was completely uh, immersed in the hospitality industry. You know, in my time at Guinness, both in the loans department and in, uh, in the sales role. You know, I. Well, I'd always loved pubs, but I'd, I got to meet so many people and I'd advise so many people across uh, the north, and, you know, and opening pubs and help them with loans to get their businesses going. And by that stage, it was what I knew. I, I, I knew pubs, I knew how they worked, and I, I was probably... Well, it's a new industry. I didn't have the passion for any other industry at the time, so it was always going to be hospitality from then on. Gosh, and then if you look at the the last period that we've been through, yeah, hospitality really got it very, very tough. Do you yeah. think it's um, going to come back with some scars and wounds, but do you think it'll be back as vibrantly as before? There'll always be hospitality. You know, it's been hospitality back to the Roman times. You know, people want to be with people, and that's the one thing we learned over COVID, you know, um, you know, perhaps before restaurants and pubs were taken a bit for granted, but when you couldn't go to the restaurant for a meal or yeah. you couldn't go out to the pub to meet your friends, I think people realised just how important it was. So it'll be there, but it'll never be the same again, It'll, but it, it always evolves. Okay, it, but you know, I, I got that too. I missed, I missed the social side. Yeah. I love going out to restaurants, etc. But staff. That was the issue. How yeah. did you look after your staff and did you lose a lot of people? Well, it, it was very worrying because at the very start, um, you know, we could see it coming. We could see COVID coming. We knew there was lockdowns coming, but the government was very slow at coming forward of what they were actually going to do. And I remember Boris Johnson stood up um, a few nights before St. Patrick's Day two years ago and told people, don't go to pubs and restaurants. And overnight, like our business just dropped and so the next day, at that stage, there was no support. Um, but I knew, you know, 
if I if I didn't take action, we had ten days to survive with the cash we had. So I went in the next day and I made everybody redundant except my key managers. Um, and how many staff were we talking at this stage? A uh, hundred people. Oh my word! Um, and and I did it because for two reasons: one, because I didn't want to leave it till the weekend because. I wanted them to have an opportunity to, you know, to go to the job office and whatever and get themselves sorted out. Um, what and was I going through your mind at that time? It was, well, it was always about the staff, what was best for the staff. You know, they knew the, the story was coming. So rather than stress them out, just do it, get it done. It wasn't, I didn't sleep the night before, but but I just got it done. And then two days later, he announced that he was going to introduce furlough. So then we were able to re-employ all the staff um, and put everybody in furlough. So that was good. So that got us through the first lockdown. Um, the second lockdown was a bit more difficult because we had to pay, you know, an element of their pay. Um, and so you could just see the cash draining away. But look, we, we, we got through it and and, and uh, I've lost some staff, uh, not as many as, 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 as some people, but we have lost some staff. And with hindsight, you know, furlough could have been managed in a better way because what happened was people were allowed to get all our jobs. So some people got the furlough, then they got another job, then they didn't come back. Um, I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, probably a much better way to do everything. Were you surprised even though when furlough appeared initially? We, we were totally shocked by the size of it. And to be honest, it, it was more than we could have ever hoped for at the time. I, I was part of a, a negotiating team with Hospitality Ulster, meeting government ministers and trying to argue for support for the industry. And what we ended up with was a lot better than what we thought we were going to get. So, so you know, once that came, I, I knew we could get through. I knew our business could get through um, because... Uh, you know, our size, when they talked about social distance in our pubs, luckily are quite big. So even with social distancing, we could get in a reasonable uh, number of people. So when in, in those short periods when we were allowed to open, we were able to make some reasonable money and that kept us going. So th- th- we're, we're in a worse place than what we were before it started. Um, but You're but we're still here. You're optimistic. Uh, yeah, we're optimistic. And would you say that's been the biggest challenge you've had to overcome to date? No, to be honest, the biggest challenge was actually the financial crisis. Right. Uh, th- that was worse because at least with COVID, you understood what was going on and, and, and you felt as if everybody was in it together. With the financial crisis, I just didn't get it. You know, I, I could see banks getting bailed out and, right. and, and banks basically stealing people's businesses and you're going what is going on here and there was nowhere to turn this Mm -hmm. is wrong and there was nowhere to go to get support (laughs) you know so Mm -hmm. any help you needed it it wasn't there so it was a learning for me you know I would have always said to people uh, in years gone by to be successful in business you need a good accountant a good solicitor and a good bank manager I'm not so sure about the bank manager anymore. Right. So you've had your fingers burned a few times and you've learned uh, a lot of lessons um, along the way. This podcast is sponsored by Granite Legal Services, a niche business and immigration law practice located in the heart of Newry City. Granite Legal Services provides legal advice to both individuals and companies alike across a wide range of industries, from employment, commercial or corporate law matters to immigration law. Granite Legal Services focuses on providing legally sound, practical advice to its clients. To get in touch, visit www.granitelegalservices.co.uk or contact 028 3026 What would you say are the secrets then to running a great bar and restaurant or hospitality premises? 
Well, the first thing in, in any restaurant or bar, and indeed in any business, is get the right people around you. Um, you know, there's a restaurateur in New York uh, called Danny Meyer. He owns a lot of restaurants in New York. They're all different. Um, uh, and he has a saying, you know, people will come for what they see. They'll return for how they're made to feel. And I think that's that oh. just sort of encapsulates what hospitality is about. Um, you know, so it's it's, it's if, if people are made to feel welcome and made to feel special, then they'll return. So the first thing is get the right people around you. Make sure that they understand how important they are to the business. So share as much information as you can with them um, and make them understand, you know, that, that even if they're, you know, what whatever the role is, how it fits in. And if you can get that team ethic going, um, then you've got a good chance. Outside of that, it's it's making sure you're well planned. It's, it's get all the basics right, of course. But but Horatio Todd's, for example, was a, was a pub that we created in in East Belfast. And you know, before we do that, before we did that, you know, we analysed the population, we analysed what they worked at, and we created the pub for what we thought the people would want. You know, so. To be successful in this, I think you can't own a pub. You know, the, the pub or the restaurant belongs to the people who frequent it, ah. if that makes sense. Yeah, I understand. You know, so you have to organise it for them. If, if they're enjoying it, um, you know, then you've got it right. But to try and do a pub for something that you like mightn't work. And in terms of which of these restaurants would be on your doorstep where you felt that you understood the nature of the area and the people? Well, none of the three are on my doorstep because... <laughs> I'm in Carryduff, um, uh, is where I live now. I'm originally from Downpatrick, but I live in Carryduff now. So, so none of them are actually on my doorstep. But, uh, but, but as I said, as I said, we, we we sort of understood what, you know, we 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 studied the area first of all in in, in uh, East Belfast, the centre of the city. Obviously, I understand because I've worked in it, and it, it changes. And I'm originally from Downpatrick, so I've a bit of an idea there. Although Denver's is 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 not just about being a local place in, in, in Downpatrick, what we're trying to do is turn it into a, a, a tourist destination because of its age and because of the history. And yeah, it dates back to 1642, yeah. as we said in the introduction, um, and you've got your 15 ensuite rooms now. Yeah, um, I, I read in a magazine a few years ago, we had only six rooms in Denver's, and then I read in a magazine about this initiative in Boyle and Roscommon, um, where they wanted to create a cluster hotel. And the idea was to find all the rooms in the town and turn them into hotel quality. And I thought, that's a good idea. So I phoned uh, the council and they said, well, that's not really us. And then let's invest in I. So I phoned them and they said, that's not really us. Uh, it's a tourist board. So I phoned the tourist board and they said, that's not really us. Oh, so, no. I, so I phoned John McGrillen, who's the head of the tourist board. Mm-hmm. I thought, what the John. hell? And John, sort it out. John, John thought it was a great idea. Yeah. My fear was that we could... To, and I said, look, will we get graded or will we be acceptable to, to you if we can do this? And he said, yes. So we, I then found a building uh, that was owned by the local property trust. And their role is to find endangered buildings in the heritage area and find a commercial use. So together we turned the building 70 metres from Denver's into additional hotel bedrooms. And that's changed it now. So Denver's now is... Uh, is an accommodation venue with a bar and restaurant where before it was a bar and restaurant with rooms, if that makes sense. Yeah. So we've now got enough rooms to actually attract tour operators in and that's what I'm currently working on. And very excited by, I can tell. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it, it's, you know, Tim Patrick's a lovely town. Mm. It's never anywhere for, for tourists to stay. So it's nice to be able to do something. And because it's right in the centre of the town, my hope is the whole town will benefit, you know, for years, people have been trying to build a hotel on the outskirts, but that's not going to benefit the town. You know, this will benefit the town because if people come out the front door, they're on the main street. So, 
And this was an area that you did know and you knew what it yeah. needed and you really, is it important to you to have that connection with Don Patrick? Do you feel very proud of Don Patrick? Well, I'm from Don Patrick, so I'm proud of it, yeah. Mm. Um, but I'm proud of all three bars, you know, as yeah. I said, Horatio's was one that didn't exist and, you know, even the name, finding the name was interesting. Um, and then yeah, the tell Northern me one. that, tell me about that. Well, to be honest, I was looking for the name of a strong woman um, who lived who was historically connected to Bally Hackamore. So we were reading through old old newspapers and we were in the Linden Hall Library and things. And uh, my marketing girl came across the name Horatio Todd. And he was the first uh, chairman of the Northern Ireland Pharmaceutical Society and a bit of a character, you know. He, he made his own perfumes, which he sent to the Queen, or the Queen Muller, as we would have known her. And uh, she sent him a letter back, and then he then sold the perfumes as being worn by the Queen and things. So I just thought, what a wonderful name. That's fantastic, and, and what a wonderful backstory. And there was a backstory, so it gave us, a, it gave us something to hang our, our hat on to, uh, as our marketing launch. And um, so, I so like, very I like exciting. That. So you've, you've the four different um, premises. Which one was first? Uh, Horatio Todd's was first, first, which is why it's called the group. Um, yes. Then the Northern Wig was bought from Nama. As okay. I told you, they all end up in Nama. So we managed to buy that from Nama, and then we bought Denver's, and um, and and then we have our fourth business, which is Horatio Taverns. That's outside bars. So that's where we do bars at the Balmoral Show. For example, we did the bar here on Friday night at the market. Or uh, in Yuri. Ah, we were just talking about that in a previous uh, episode. You'll have to tune in uh, to that one. But yeah. yeah, that kind of revival of street food, of people gathering. Again, lockdown's done strange things to people, but yeah. it, we've all craved that sense of community. Yeah. And the outdoor experience is definitely something that if you've the right coat, <laughs> you're yeah. grand and, and, and you love that. But is this something that you'd be wanting to do prior to lockdown or is this something that has been an um, opportunity for you? It's something that it, it, it sort of came about mainly during the financial crisis. Oh. Uh, as I told you, it was very, very difficult at that time to get any sort of support. And so we were looking for other ways, to, other ways to raise cash. And, you know, there were more and more of these sort of event bars so we we tendered for a few, and the big one we got was the Balmoral Show, which was great. And Rhonda, who's the director up there, has been wonderful to us over the last number of years. Um, but based on that, then our reputation grew. So we we've got quite a few now. You know, it's a it's a business in its own right. Um, and you know, I I think at the last count, we've at, le- at least a hundred events this summer to do. Gosh, really? So, so everybody's back out again, and all the events. Everybody has been stuck for yeah. two years, and and we're loving it now. Yeah, and it's great to see. It's great to see people back. And it, it was lovely, actually, whenever we were close to open up. Although it's, it's interesting, the, the really interesting thing, Sarah, was, that, was the, the team coming back. It was a bit like a football team that hadn't played in three yeah. months. They'd lost their touch, you know, they couldn't control the ball. <laughs> they and were so dropping we had, drinks everywhere, uh, were well, they? Yeah, we had to slow everything down. You know, we even, had to, we even had to change the menus to make sure, you know, like, let's just wait until we get back up to speed, it, which I didn't, I didn't foresee, you know. No. Um, but, That's really interesting. But it I makes haven't sense. heard anybody else. That, no, it totally makes sense. And, <laughs> You just need time to, to get back up to speed. Do you yeah. think that people want to get back up to the speed that they were at before? It, it is diff- it's different. It's difficult to, uh, at the minute in terms of staff. So we, we've struggled. Mm. Um, and you Recruitment's know, we, a massive issue. R- recruitment's massive, but in a way it's been an opportunity. Uh, you know, I get speaking, myself and, 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 and the manager, Karen and, and Horatio Todds, we were speaking one day and every job we advertised the only people we were getting were young people and a lack of experience so we thought you know what if you can't win the race you're in start another race so if we're only getting young people how do we fast track them and so we introduced uh, a scheme where 
which we called, you know, paid for the job and not your age. So, as you know, the minimum wage is different levels at different age groups. Yeah. So what we said was, come and join us. Uh, do some online training. We've got these training modules. Mm-hmm. Do some online training. Uh, do your in-house training. And every quarter... Uh, we'll give you a review, and as you're progressing, we'll give you a pay rise. And by the end of the first year, you will be getting paid for the you will be getting paid for the job, as opposed to your age. So, That's brilliant. And they bought into it. You know, the kids have really enjoyed it, and they've stepped up to the mark, and they've been wonderful. You know, and the fact that they've got a wee bit of control of their own job. So it's, it was an initiative that we sort of thought would be a good idea, and it's worked well for well, us. Well, it's that incentive, isn't it, to keep going and improve and get more money, and yeah, yeah. But uh, but it, more than that, it, it, it's 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 them feeling worth. Yeah. You know, them feeling worth valued. And, and, and valued and us telling them, look, this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it. And, and you are going to be a valuable member of our team quicker than you might normally have been. Do you feel that you've changed as a leader and a boss since the pandemic? Do you realise now how important that is that, that the young people need to buy into you, buy into your values, yeah. buy into your ethos? Um, t- to be honest, probably I haven't changed as a boss, but what I what I have realised is a lot of those things were sort of set to the side. You know, mm. I, I've always been the same in terms of understanding. You know, it's it, it's about a, it's a people game. You need to develop your people. You need to make them feel involved. I've always known that, uh, but the last two years has all been about cash flow. It's all been about just let's keep the cost down. Let's make sure we have enough cash to keep everybody employed. Let's not waste money. So everything was completely different. And all the training and all the other stuff that is so essential was all put in the back burner. Um, But we've just kind of kicked that off again now. And we're, you know, we've, we've started some, we've had guys out doing their wine training recently. We've had... You know, we've all our training sessions coming up. We've our, our our long service awards dinner, which we haven't done in three years coming up, which is where we invite everybody who's done five, ten, fifteen or whatever years to come to a dinner. We haven't done that for a couple of years, so we're gonna do that now. So it's it's getting back to that. All all those great things were shelved uh, for necessity because the only thing that mattered was keeping enough cash to get through because nothing else counted except cash. Well, I suppose when you've been faced with a situation where you had to let every single member of staff go yeah. at one point, you know, you know what that's like. So so getting it right going forward, um, did you think about, gosh, four? I'm now running sort of four businesses here. Do I need that many? Should I be looking after this many people? Not not really, no. It's, it's all about doing what's right for the business. And, and as I said to you, surround yourself by good people. Um, and, you know, another saying is, if you want to know what excellence is, ask your excellent people, yeah. <laughs> which I like. I like that So, too. you know, I've got people working with me who, who are better at some things than I am. You know, so I, I don't have to think about everything. Um, and it's just making sure that I'm there to support them and make sure that they've got the support they've got or that they need, sorry. Um, and that's what it's about. And, and that, you're that learning get from them it. as well. Yeah, but, you know, if you employ a manager, uh, I think a lot of people make a mistake, you know, they employ a manager, but then they don't let them manage. I think, why why employ a manager if you don't want them to manage? So let them manage it. Uh, yes, I'll have my say and, and we'll have our debates and there's some things I'll want to do that won't get done because they won't see it. Uh, but we'll get there in the end. We'll work. We'll work together, and we'll get there. So I think it's brilliant. I think a lot of people listening to this today will will think, "Yeah, that's me. I micromanage them all." So actually, just stepping back and, and I suppose trusting yeah. that you've brought this person, yeah. in. and as you say, you know, chipping in yeah. when you need to, but also yeah. saying, "Right, you're but, right." But but that's kind of my background. You see, my background isn't really in pubs, as you know. Yeah. It, it came through blue chip companies, and it it like particularly in Guinness when I, when it, the sales force, you know, there was 50, 60 sales guys. So, you know, you can't micromanage. You have to sort of put systems in place. You have to make sure they're trained. You have to make sure that they're very clear on on on, on what it 
is they have to achieve. Um, you know, so you have to you have to structure your business in a way that people are delivering th- on things that are actually going to count. So even you know when I took over as sales director in Guinness, the first thing I had to do was restructure the sales force to to make it work in a way that was more effective because the industry had changed. You know, so you had to make those tough calls and do the difficult things to get to where you needed to be. You, but, you, but you have to. I remember, and this was a lesson for me. Um, at one stage, we had a, a young chap who worked for us, and uh, he, a lovely guy, um, and he kept applying for supervisor's jobs, and, and he never got them. And part of the reason was because he, he was always talking, <laughs> right? Um, but he was good, and, and then he decided he was going to move on somewhere else. And I went to speak to him. Uh, that, and said to him, look, I should have got involved here, but I, I, I will get involved now. He said, no, no, look, it's fine. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm moving on. He says, but can I tell you something? And I said, what? He said, I've worked here for three years. Nobody's ever been sacked. He said, and there are people here who aren't good enough to work with me. And the lesson was, he wasn't complaining about those people. He was complaining about me and the other managers not taking action. Ah. And I learned from that. Um, Gosh. You know, it was a, it was a big so lesson. So what happened to him? He did move on, and he's did done he well. He, and yeah. he is. I, I met him recently. He was managing a restaurant in County Down, and he's he's still a great guy. Still talking. Oh yeah, I mean, we're still talking. It, 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 you know, it, I should have got involved probably more quicker. Than but I you did. learned from that. I learned you, from his. And you listened. Yeah, but it's what I, it's what I meant. Whenever you know, you talk to people, and, and you will learn from people. Like he, I was running the company, and he was just a, a waiter. But I still learn from him. And then people listening to this then say, okay, so if somebody's not, you know, pulling their weight, if they are, mm. you know, just not delivering, underperforming, mm. you know, if they were in a football team, they wouldn't be picked. They'd be on yeah. the bench, and that's a very expensive yeah. place to have them. Yeah. How do you have the difficult conversation? How do you do the, right, we need to talk here? Okay. Well, performance reviews are important. Um, and I say that and I'm smiling as I say that because in my time in Guinness, I never signed one. <laughs> and the reason being, um, because all year I was told you're doing a great job. And then I would come to do my performance review and I got a three out of five. And I would go, why am I only getting a three? Oh, no, but read the comments. That means you're good. But I also meant, I also realised it meant that I didn't get the pay rise I was meant to get because no. I'm only getting a three. But, but it meant that the conversation became a negative conversation. Yeah. Um, and then I told you about this comment I read about if you want to know what accents is, ask your excellent people. So that's what we did. We went out and got our best barmen in and said, what do good barmen do? And they give us a list, a job profile of what good barmen do. Did the same with our waiters, same with our security staff. So now whenever we have a performance review, we sit down with the barman and say, here's what your peers say is is really good. What good barmen do? Where do you think you need development? And we have that conversation. Um, so that benchmarking is there. It's not coming from the top down. It's actually coming from somebody well, who's doing well. Yeah. The top in their area or whatever. Yeah. But this yeah. is what good looks like. This is what good looks like, and and so it gives us some credibility, and and you have the conversation, and then the only scores are, you're developing very well, um, you're a very valuable member of our team, or you're not good enough to work with us. And when you hear that, That's most times hard. people will either buck up or they'll move on. And in terms of protecting employees, has that become something of an issue to say that to someone and then they maybe challenge and, you know, where did, what, well, is that an issue for, for employers at the minute? I, I, no, not really. Not, no. If you're, not if you're open and honest and you have the evidence. You know, if you sit down and say, look, here's what I've seen you doing and, and you know, you need to have the evidence. But don't get me wrong, it's not about getting rid of people, it's about trying to develop people. So they get a second chance? Oh, no, everybody, everybody will get second, third, fourth chances, you know, yeah. like a, a 
it's it's only sometimes you know you know people are in the wrong job. <laughs> that's sometimes, all it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a manager once who worked for me, and and it was it just wasn't going to work out. And I I told him, and when I told him it wasn't working out, his comment to me was, "That's a weight on my shoulders." Right, he um, couldn't make that choice to go, probably, because people get tied in. And, w- and I, I, we've talked a lot to people about, you know, yeah. that kind of rust out, that sort of yeah. people are just clocking in and clocking out, and the love and the purpose just isn't there. It wasn't there, and he found a new career in a completely different type of, 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 of industry, and he's doing really well. You saved him from himself, really. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes people just need to be told that. It's, yeah. it's kind of tough it's not love. Working out here. It's not a nice yeah. thing to do, don't no. get me wrong. Like, before that conversation with that guy, I didn't sleep for three nights. <laughs> and then he told, me, he told me that was a weight of my shoulders or his shoulders. <laughs> I wish I'd known that before. <laughs> I would have had three nights sleep. But, but, well, it sounds like you're not just going in there and hatchet man. It's oh, no, totally no, something I, that you I, can't. I couldn't These are that, all no. livelihoods and no, families. We're, and, we're, we're a very flat organisation yeah. and yeah. Uh, as I said to you you know we, we, we share information uh, any of our staff could tell you how the pub's doing at any level they know the figures we share everything with them you know we, we try to create that team ethos and most of my people have been with me a long time is that the secret of your success works. do you think um, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure it works for me it's my style you mm. know you can only manage in your own style mm. I couldn't be I couldn't be the guy on the white horse at the front. Like, that's not me. (laughs) I need to be in amongst the people. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So in terms of, like, food, obviously everybody's really into food and there's been such a revival. And, yeah, we're we're inundated with Instagram posts and beautiful dishes everywhere. Um, In terms of where you are with food, what about your chefs? How do you design your menus? Okay, well, food, food's probably the biggest driver in all of our, well, except for Denver's now because it's accommodation, um, but but food is the biggest driver. Um, each of the premises has their own head chef, and the head chef writes the menu. You know, so we, we will have, we know what kind of style of food works in the three pubs or what we think works in the three pubs. The chefs will write the menu, then we will critique the menu. You know, do you think you've got enough vegetarian or, or you know, is that priced high enough or is that priced too high or, you know, whatever the conversation might be. But it's a chef, you know, if you again, as I said, if you employ somebody like that and, and the guys I have working for me at the minute are, are, are excellent, um, you know, and they're passionate about, about their food. So I want them to be passionate about what's going out on, on the dish. I want them to be proud of what they're putting out and, you know, so they have to, they have to own the menu. Um, Put their stamp on it. It has to be their stamp. Yeah. yeah, they have to own it and they have to want to to create it and 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 it, and they have to develop it. You know, menus need to change and 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 you know more and more we need to be looking at local and uh, and and all of those things. Yeah, you know. and you you look at even the rise in in vegan and vegetarian food. Yeah. Something that used to be literally there were two one choice at the bottom of the menu and now people are actively even the meat eaters and the pescatarians mm-hmm. out there are wanting the healthy local produce and something different correct yeah palates have changed pa- palates are changing all the time yeah so you have to be aware of that and that's why you need somebody who's passionate you know who, who's going to be keeping themselves up to date with what the trends are and and you know I'm, I'm, i really like chefs who like going out for meals you know it's, it's amazing the number of chefs who don't like going out for meals but i have no time to go out for meals even but yes yeah. that's really that's but really even key. that's changed the time thing you know yeah. it, it, it it was traditionally in the industry was you worked all the hours that you mm-hmm. had to work that's changed it was quite unhealthy really wasn't yeah, it yeah split shifts and things we try to avoid that you know people have to have a work-life balance yeah you know they have to want to come into work 
uh, and they so have to So, what way do you it. work it now, or is it is it an individual well, thing? Or well, it's it's basically trying to keep people to their forty hours a week. is what mm-hmm. we try to do. You know, there may be the odd time where somebody might be sick, and yeah. people will step up then. Yeah. Um, and I've seen even, and it's great to have. Sometimes it's, this is where it's good to have more than one outlet. I've seen where we might have had a problem in an outlet. You know, particularly with COVID, there. You know, you had a couple of people off, and people have stepped in from another restaurant to help out. Gosh, that's really good, isn't it? It's that's good. a really good sign that things are working. Yeah. And morale is good. And yeah, and you'll need that to continue, I'd say, for for a while longer. You've won many awards with your businesses over the years. Tell us about those. Well, I suppose... um the, the the best one ever, I'll tell you. Um, I had a, a guy worked me. He's retired now. Uh, called uh, Jerry Vernon, and Jerry had Jerry was in his sixties, and uh, he had worked in the license trade all his life. And there was a, a barman of the year, UK barman of the year, and we thought, you know what, we should enter Jerry. Now, usually it's won by some guy who can throw cocktail bottles in the <laughs> air and stuff like this here, and we thought, Jerry's been, you know, he's been a great barman all his life, and he, and he's the sort of guy would would recognise a lady on her own and make sure she gets a seat and get her a newspaper and things, you know, he, he, he had all Aww. of that. He was really just, he was just good. So, so we entered him in uh, UK barman of the year, and um, we had to go over to London for it. But even the process was good because one of the things was you had to, th- one of the questions on the way through, there were five stages before you got to the final awards now. And one of the questions was, tell us a, a, a bad customer story. And Jerry just went, no. Oh. I said, what do you mean, no? I'm not telling you a bad story about any customer. Oh. Men come into the pubs to get rid of their sorrows. I'm not telling you any bad stories. Oh. Well, tell us something, Jerry. We we'll have to tell them some bad story. He says, well, there was a time I took the bomb out once. And I said, we've won. Beat <laughs> <laughs> so, that. Because I could just see all these judges sitting in London, you know, with their bad stories. And Jerry's story was carrying a bomb out of a bar, you know. So, um, Love it. So over we went. And uh, I think there was 1,800 people at the dinner. And Damien Average was handing out the awards. Oh. And Jerry won it. So that was my favourite award. Oh. Lovely. And how was Jerry? Did he love it? Oh, he loved it, Could he yeah. believe he'd won? Um, I don't think he believed it. I think Jerry just thought, sure, it's a trip to London, you know. But yeah. uh, but he enjoyed it, and we all enjoyed it. We had two tables, and um, we took Jim Madole with us as well. Oh, you know, for that, goodness Because we thought, better have a journalist here, so he can... He, he loved can plenty of contacts. Plenty for the Sunday World. That was then good. The that, was a, that was a nice award. Oh, that was lovely. And there yeah. you go. You're sort of pleased for somebody else, and somebody yeah. like Jerry who... Really was doing the right thing all the way through, but didn't didn't court the publicity or the limelight. And yeah. but the story of the carrying the bomb that did it absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you, you won, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> so you love chefs who go out and and eat. Yeah. Where do you love going to, or what do you love doing? Do you do a lot of travel and research to check out competition, or just learn from? Other experiences? Not as much in recent years. I was in London uh, a weekend, not last weekend, the weekend before for the first time in about three years. So I haven't been able to do as much travelling, obviously. But yeah, I mean, it's actually, in some ways it's a good thing, in some ways it's a bad thing because you're always working. Oh, <laughs> you, know? you never stop you know, judging. So, <laughs> so, so when, I, when I'm out with my wife, sometimes it doesn't go down well. What are you doing now? What are you looking at? Yeah. <laughs> Can you not switch off just I for have, one night? I have a very... Um, a, a very good friend and her family all come from the the hospitality trade and there's a whole load of them and see going out for a meal with them it is a hoot honestly it's like Mm. I, I don't like this and I don't like that and I, I, that's you know and I'm going this is lovely I'm out this is great but they mm. always they're, they're just the attention to detail yeah. is quite pronounced and getting yeah. it right and we would do it this way yeah yeah you're always looking yeah. you're always looking <laughs> in terms of signature drink do you have a tipple that do you regularly well, go to 
Well, personally for me, it's it's a pint of Guinness. You should not be surprised to yeah, hear that. Yeah. Um, so it's a pint of Guinness, and, and I, I know a bit about wines. So never spirits, very rarely ever go near spirits, but uh, that's, my, that's my You like tipple. your wine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how do you manage it at, you know, all? You've been doing this for such a long time now. Do you see yourself sort of stepping back a little? You've got brilliant people. You've employed the right people. Um, what would your normal day look like? Right. The normal day is... is, is um, First thing I do in the morning, all the sales are through, so you have a look to see how the day before went. Uh-huh. So they've come through during the night. Um, so we see how that is to make sure that there's nothing's going wrong. Um, it's checking into emails, and then it's just meetings after meetings. Um, do you have a morning routine? Lots of people now we're talking to have their fitness or their something they like to do before uh, the busyness of the day starts. Not really, to be honest. I probably should have, but uh, I don't rush into work because... Uh, there's no point really you know because of the traffic so if I'm in for half nine I'm happy enough um but because I can do my emails at home so I, I I do I do emails at home before I go then I go into the office and, and then I go around I don't be around the outlets every day I don't need to check up on the guys but I will be in the outlets you know to meet the managers and and we have our one-to-ones and things like that do you tell them that you're coming um, yeah, yeah, they would know I'm coming, yeah. and uh, and if, like I would never speak, I never speak business to anybody except the managers, ah. if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. if I go in, unless something's really wrong, uh, you know, I'll I'll, I'll talk to, to some of the staff, but the manager's the manager of the pub, and it's, I want him to think it's his pub, so I only speak business to him. Um, or to her, uh, so that's that's the way that works. In a lot of the awards. Um I know I've kind of hosted a few awards and there's always this mystery shopper element. Have you experienced that? Uh, would you encourage that sort of thing where people drop by and um yeah well we we, we would use amounts. we would use mystery yeah, shoppers yeah, uh, right. on occasions yeah so we have done that in the past again with covid that's all fallen away but that would have been that would have been a normal thing to do and we had we always employed a student who did more than mystery shop and we had a student who was who was uh, at college and this was part of their year out and they would have gone in and carried out a mystery shop but not just on the the customer experience, they went into every aspect of the business and carried out a quality audit. You know, were the fridges all the right temperature? Were, you know, was the food stored correctly? They checked everything. And really important. Every, every outlet gets that every month, and it, and it's not to catch the guys out. It's just to make sure that we keep remembering all the basics that we have to do. Um, so the student thing fell apart as well during COVID, but I have a, a chap doing that for me now. So, so not so much on the customer mystery shop side alone. We would do those sorts of audits that go behind the scenes as well as front of house. What time do you switch off then at the end of the day? <laughs> uh, I don't know if you do. <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm. I'm sort of. I, I, I kind of need to cool my head at night, so I, I always read a little bit uh-huh. before I go to bed, just to cool my head down. Fiction or? It depends. depends. I've, I've, I've always put three or four books beside the bed. You know, I'll have one that's fiction, one that's maybe not fiction and whatever. So three or four different types of books and I always read something. I have a question written down here. What do you like to do in your spare time? Does yeah. that exist? Oh, yeah, you know, you know, I go to the theatre, I go to the cinema, I go walking. I used to play a bit of football, but I've got a bit of a knee injury. I'm, I'm tempted oh. to try and come back. I was told not to play again because of the knee injury, but and who in do you recent play for? times, like it was only uh, in years gone by, I played soccer for Dramara. Oh. Um, <coughs> but more recent times, it's just been five sides with a lot of mates. But as I say, an old football injury, and I was told by the doctor not to play again. But uh, oh. it's tempting. Hard to stay away. Well, he might it's come tempting. back. There might be another comeback for Stephen McGorian. Yeah, I'm not sure whether it's worth a comeback. A manager was asked once. <laughs> the manager tomorrow was asked by one of my friends, "Is he any good?" 
And after thinking for a while, he said he's enthusiastic. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Sounds like my school report. Um, So what's next for you then, Stephen? Do you have an exit strategy? Not really at the minute. No, not 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 at the minute. Um, What's next is... uh, at Horatio Todd's, we've an office which is far too big versus um, above the bar, and we've got now got planning permission to turn that into an extension for the bar. So oh. we hope to extend up there at some stage with the way things are. We're priced at the minute, not sure when that's going to happen, um, but that's what we want to do there. So we've got a, we've got plans to extend and put in the bar. We want to put in is going to be slightly different than what we've currently got. So it's an it's another offering to the what Horatio Todd's is. Uh, Denver's, as I've said, we've just opened the new bedrooms. Um, An so, exciting summer ahead then. Yeah, so I was trying to maximise that now with tourists and, and, and to get that as a destination. So I'm, I'm going to meet the buyer, the Tourism Northern Ireland, organised on the 29th of March. And that'll be the first time that I've been to that. I've been there virtually before, but not in person. So I have a number of appointments set up with a number of tour operators. And I'm hoping something will come out of that and we'll start to see bring tourism to St. Patrick's. That's what we're trying to do with Denver's. And then in, in Northern Wig, I've always felt we never got the coffee bar end of it right. So we have to work on that. So there's always something to do. Still even the takeaway coffee business? That yeah, we've thing. never really got that off the uh, ground there. Um, but just even the sit-in coffee, but I, I think we could in. do it better. Mm-hmm. Just And any plans to invest in a fifth bar and restaurant in the future? Not at the moment. They're the big plans, is to invest in what we've got. Yeah. Um, if if they if they come along, you know that that that, that can make a, a massive change to ratios. I think it could be a big difference on Denver's. It'll be a real change for Denver's, but it'll be good for Dan Patrick. So there's plenty to do there at the minute. Plenty so of exciting they're the, things. They're the now things. the purpose, Stephen, of this podcast is to inspire existing business owners yeah. and ambitious entrepreneurs to grow their business by offering insight into the success of businesses such mm. as the Horatio Group. But what advice would you give to people who may have a business idea? but have no idea where to begin or are unsure as to whether it's a risk worth taking? Well, the the big thing is, and and this podcast will show you, um, business people are always prepared to help all our business people. So ask, go and seek advice. Uh, Talk to somebody who you respect, run your idea past them. Um, You know, talk to a number of people. Uh, Listen to what they tell you as well. You know, they may not tell you what you want to hear, but, but seek advice and and if if you're convinced after speaking to a number of people whom you respect that your idea is a good idea, then give it a go um, and see how it goes. Try and do it in a way that is as low a risk as possible. You know, decide what you're prepared to invest um, and give it a go. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, it doesn't, you know, move on. You know, not everything that I've touched has worked um, you know, there's been times I've had to say, I just can't do this. You know, I, I sold just before uh, just before lockdown. I sold Molly Brown's and Newton Arts, a lovely pub, um, but I just couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't work it out in my own head. I couldn't get it to go. So the best thing to do was just to, to stop trying. Just to let it go. Just let so it go. So some things it's even it's about knowing when to walk away if it, if it's not working out. But yeah, it's better to try than have it's, regrets. It's better to try and have regrets. And and once you've made a decision, another thing I was told once I was offered a. A, a job in London at one stage before I took on the loans department. It was either go to London or take on the loans department in Northern Ireland in Guinness. And the guy in England, when I told him I was staying, uh, said to me, "Look, nobody ever makes the, the wrong mistake, uh, the wrong decision. You make the right decision at the time, based on the facts you've got. Don't look back. Just 
forget about it. You made the right decision. Move forward. And uh, I thought that was good advice. That is brilliant, isn't it? Because so many, so well, so much of life is about procrastination, but then yeah. rumination and yeah. agonising over over whether yeah. it was the right or the wrong thing. Give it a go. Give it a go. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, know to walk away and try something else. Well, you've been an inspiration to so many and thank you so much for telling us about your your brilliant successes, the things that perhaps didn't work so well. You've been extremely honest and um, have probably helped an awful lot of people out there. Thank you so much, Stephen, for joining me today on the Public Eye podcast. What a fantastic guest uh, Stephen's been. A great one to finish season eight with. We will be back very soon with season nine. So remember to subscribe to stay up to date on all new releases. See you soon. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.